Today on Never Was a Gamer, the feminine urge to get kidnapped and slowly unravel your true identity. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is my narrative foil, my childhood friend, Dimitri. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. How are you feeling? Tired. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Because of the world or because of the game? Uh, Mostly because of the world. Um, Chapter 3 of uh, the year 2020, it feels like we're entering into. And also chapter three of Final Fantasy Tactics, Mm -hmm. which is our game for this week. (laughs) So this week we are finishing up our arc on games that are in Michelle's wheelhouse. This one is in several of my wheelhouses. Yeah, I I think this is why this is a good one. And including your play a hundred hour game wheelhouse. Yes, it's a three part Venn diagram of Final Fantasy's tactics games and like big beefy boys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we're doing Final Fantasy Tactics. It is it is a huge game. Today we're going to talk about the game up through chapter three yeah. of four, and then next episode we'll wrap up tactics, wrap up the year, and wrap up the season and start looking ahead. But first, I just want to give a quick disclaimer because I think you know some people stumble upon shows talking about their favorite games and are really looking for some deep dives, <laughs> and, and you know people who are incredibly knowledgeable about a specific game. And I, I, you know what? I think for some games, we are those people or we can be those people. I think we're not going to be those people for this game. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. We'll get to why, but both mechanically, lore-wise, I think we're noobs at yeah. this. <laughs> I was very much enjoying my experience with it, but this is going to be very much about our experiences with it and with the genre. And this is a genre that I'm not incredibly well-versed in. It's one that you are more well-versed in, but are still relatively new to. Yeah. And so just I want to state out front that that is our perspective and the, there are going to be limitations to <laughs> what we can discuss and how we discuss it. And I'm sure some of it is going to come across as ignorant of some of the like underlying systems, but I just don't have time to pull up all the spreadsheets, man. I just you don't. Can, you can reach Dimitri at Dimitri at nwag.com. <laughs> Send your comments. I just like I just know with strategy games, especially in tactics games, there's some people who just are so obsessive yeah. and so knowledgeable about every intricacy and can explain why the numbers lay the way they lay on every turn. Not and, me, dude. No, and and it's just I and I I can't. <laughs> and and we'll get into why, but that's just not what's going to happen here. So if that's something you're interested in, I'm sure there are many other places you can go for that discussion. Not here. <laughs> but for now, let's dig into Final Fantasy Tactics. And maybe start with your interest in tactics in general, because I think we've spoken a lot on the show about your interest in RPGs and Final Fantasy. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've mentioned here and there your love, maybe newfound love of tactics games, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we haven't really dug into it. And uh, I'd really like to hear more about your history with them, what you like about them, especially because this is a genre that doesn't resonate as strongly with me. Yeah, this is one of the places, I think this is one of the few genres that I love that you don't. There's things you play that I'm not that into, but I think you share a lot of my taste, and this is one of the few exceptions. This and like card-based roguelikes are your Yeah, those I will not touch. (laughs) 
um, maybe, maybe, well, I guess it's the same thing where, uh, you know, I'll play certain ones, certain ones yeah, that uh, I've been told are, you know, exemplary. Right. But this isn't the genre that I'll play anything that um, might, you know, be a B tier game. eight where, out of tens. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like, you know, if it's a 3D platformer, I'm playing all of them. Right. Whereas I'm like... Let me know if it's a 10. Um, yeah, so I mean, this is something that um, has been steadily growing and kind of taking over a lot of my uh, recreational game playing that really started back when you sort of offhandedly were like, yeah, you might like Fire Emblem Awakening. And I picked this that up. ages ago then. Oh, yeah. So quite a while ago. And I think I talked about Awakening a little bit um, when we were talking about my relationship with difficulty, where Fire Emblem Awakening was one of my earliest game examples of breaking through a difficulty barrier and like being up until 3 a.m. just like resetting levels over and over until I got through them without um, without losing anybody. And I think, you know, probably what made it possible for me to transition and get into that game was its emphasis on story and characters like that really is like a JRPG wrapped around like a tactics game. Yeah, right. That was my first Fire Emblem as well, or at least the first one that I had finished fully. I think my brother had some on the Game Boy Advance mm -hmm. that I think I dabbled with, but yeah, I needed like the visual novel yeah. aspect and the the more JRPG wrappings to get me invested. And then yeah, I really ended up enjoying it. But yeah, for the same reason, that was that had to be the hook for me. Yeah. Um but yeah, but I think with you, like the tactics part also hooked you. Oh, I loved it. So maybe even backing up, how would how do you define the tactics genre? <laughs> versus say even the strategy genre yeah i think there's a lot of overlap i mean also i don't play a lot of games in like the real-time tactics or real-time strategy sort of realm um mostly for me the tactical games that i play are some form of turn-based um so i think one of the things that i appreciate is about them is you know sort of overlaps again with some of what i like about turn-based jrpgs which is like I love having some time to think through what I'm doing and being able to like play a game intentionally as opposed to just like with reaction um, and really being able to like analyze what has happened, understand the mechanic and process things on like a, a pretty deep level, like really dig into the mechanical like, OK, what are these different buffs? I mean, you know, sometimes you don't really have time to do that on the fly and like a shooter where maybe you're like, okay, yeah, I'm doing more damage, but I don't, you know, I'm not calculating, okay, how much more damage do I need to do to like in this turn be able to, t you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that definitely is part of what made it accessible for me. And I mean, right, I guess that probably stems from your love of JRPGs in general, where some, you know, push you to think that way, but I don't know, you like being pushed a bit further. Yeah. In tactics games, I, it's much more about the actual challenge of, of the game itself. Whereas like, I don't really even want JRPGs to be that hard a lot of the time. Oh, okay. So, okay. So that's interesting. So you're not looking, so when you go, when you want a JRPG, you're not looking for, for example, you know, a JRPG where your battles are tactics level battles. Cause you know, sometimes you get, uh, I mean, Persona can do that, especially if you're playing on a higher difficulty yep. level. I've heard the Shin Megami Tensei yeah. series, right. And with five coming out, I know you've been thinking about dabbling in it. Yeah. Um, I'm putting it off for precisely this reason. I don't, in a JRPG, I don't want to be doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, do you well, feel the same way? Okay, so there are kind of exceptions, but all the exceptions I can think of are ones where I came back to it with added challenge because I had already gone through once and I loved the sort of JRPG, like the story, the characters. Okay. Okay, I was excited about all that stuff and wanted to replay with just an escalated difficulty. So 
I mean, we talked about this when we talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I reattempted that on the um, the difficulty where your health and magic don't right. recover when you when you save, and that fundamentally changed that game. And I mean, I I have gone back and played Persona Four and actually Persona Five on the hardest difficulties in both of those cases, but that was also in the context of like I really felt like I deeply understood those games and and I just kind of wanted to hang out in the world again but not have it be sort of completely thoughtless. So like there's cases where I can get into a little bit more of a difficulty spike. Um, and again, the Final Fantasy VII remake combat is quite different than like a classic JRPG turn-based combat, even though it has a relationship with that. So I don't know. I definitely like being pushed more in strategy games. Um, and I think like that's part of why probably my all-time favorite strategy game and indeed one of my favorite games of all time uh, is Into the Breach. So, so just to so just to jump in, I would I would say this Into the Breach is not a strategy game; it's a tactics game. Okay, how would you explain the difference? I mean, I think typically when I think strategy, I'm thinking you know larger scale games that are less about the moment to moment battle and more about managing the big picture managing resources so when you think okay. of like a civilization okay. or even something like a starcraft whereas i think the games that that you're talking about are ones where you're really zooming into mm-hmm. you know individual battles and it's it's all about you know and of course there's some games that have both or yeah, that yeah. or that blend but i mean into the breach is very much about absolutely it, like the the specific tactics that you use to win very individual battles on a on even, a very defined grid right even each turn in that game right. is its own little puzzle like every every time is almost like looking at a uh, somewhat a new board where you have new things you have to figure out what to do with it um right, yeah and i think that's interesting that you call it a that you call it a puzzle uh, yeah, I and mean, I think-, I think that's where for me, I think that's that might help for me anyway, how I distinguish between strategy and tactics where the tactics oh, sure. part is, is where you actually get, you know, like a game board, like a chess board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're playing that out where it's, I, I don't know if I necessarily call it a puzzle. Um, because typically, I tend to think of puzzles, you know, having having an answer, right? Whereas this is more about you also have to react to what your your opponents doing. But it's much more, you know, like a miniature board game yes. being played out. Ra- yeah. Whereas for me, like, I guess there are strategy board games as well, but, yeah, yeah. you know, like Risk versus yeah, or whatever the cool kids yeah. are playing these days. <laughs> that is the, the cool equivalent of Risk. You know, this big... Warhammer? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you always see those board games. There's like, a, there's like a name of war and then a year after the end. Yes. Yes. Those ones. Yes. Okay. Anyone yes. with a year in it. Yeah. I don't want to play them. It takes too long. <laughs> too many pieces. Don't too complicated it. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like I especially think about Into the Breach as a sort of emergent puzzle game in some ways, because um, in that game specifically, uh, one of the things that is different about it from from most tactics games, uh, one of the things I find so refreshing is that um, instead of trying to really get ahead of your opponents and defeat them and achieve objectives, although sometimes you do that, mostly what you're on is a sliding slope towards catastrophe at all times and the the name of that game is to what extent can i mitigate damage or to what what losses do i have to accept in a given uh in a given turn or space so it's about figuring out the solution that is the least disastrous in the content that will like let you Hmm. continue and persevere as opposed to being a, a sort of forward like progressive achievement thing Right, or something where you feel really offense-driven. Yes, yeah. 
yeah, it can be that. But ult- yeah, ultimately, in Into the Breach, what you're trying to do with your um, sort of three, it's, a, it's again played out on this little turn-based grid. It's not very big. I think it's only like eight or 10 or 12 by eight or 10 or 12. Um, and you're these little mechs fighting this like alien invasion and trying to stop the aliens from killing your guys or damaging buildings that have civilians in them. Um, and so... Yeah, it, it's sort of like an upside down tactics game in some ways in terms of what you're what you're trying to work with. But I think to me, this is some of this is like the sweet spot for me of how much of a puzzle element I want in a lot of games, because I think like into the breaches, into the breaches. Yeah. Um, and I think sort of some of the other tactics elements also like I full puzzle games are not usually my my favorite. Mm-hmm. I, like I found Braid frustrating in lots of ways. That's because you forgot the rewind the time. <laughs> because <laughs> I forgot about the thing that is braid yeah um but I th- I think it's that like that feeling of really having to take your time and process and figure out the best solution that you can figure out within your capacity and that evolving as you get this more granular and granular and deeper and deeper understanding of the mechanics available to you and how to manipulate them um, so I always come away from tactics games feeling like, I know the game better than I know most other kinds of games that I've played. You know what I mean? And and I think that's because you have to engage with that stuff in order to in order to make progress. Yeah, and I mean one thing I will say for Into the Breach, I I enjoyed. I don't like it nearly as much as yeah. you do. Um but one thing I do appreciate for I think a lot of these reasons is that the grid is very contained. I think it's 8 yeah. by 8. Yeah. And I think for the same reasons, right? I I when it comes to these kinds of games, the more limitations you give me, the better I enjoyed or the better I let myself play it without feeling overwhelmed Mm -hmm. i think this is a problem i have and we'll get into this when we talk about um, final fantasy tactics specifically i and i know this isn't for this isn't the same for everybody but for me there is such a thing as too many options sure 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 and into the breach is very good about telling you what exactly your options are and limiting your options but still giving you enough that you know there is still a, a challenging game there yeah um that is that is flexible and fluid but it is still very clear about what your options are. Yeah, um, or at least what's going to happen if you don't intervene. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the the most core and distinctive design philosophy of Into the Breach is that it gives you perfect information about what will happen <laughs> at the end of your turn. Right, which I think is rare for a lot of tactics. Games. Yeah, that's not how most of them go. And also it deals in very concrete numbers. Like your, your health will be something like two or right. four. It won't be like... 3,657 where like who knows how many it's like okay that guy has three health this attack is going to do two mm-hmm. he's going to do one damage to that building like it's it's very very concrete and so I think like you know speaking about how that game evolves from even from turn to turn I think the other thing that really hits a sweet spot for me with tactics games is it's this really nice balance between you know testing out and playing with longer run strategies but also having to respond directly to what's in front of you. Um, I don't know why, but despite my love of like tactic stuff, I am just unspeakably bad at imagining like multi-move strategies of another human player. Like, I don't think I've ever won a game of chess. Like against another real intelligence, I am physically incapable of seeing anything beyond what they are attempting to do in like maybe their very next turn. Like I, I don't know why. I just have some sort of block where I can't process it. But there tends to be like a level of responsiveness in the AI of this where, you know, like 
the things that you're doing will change how their turn responds. And they're going to respond in a way that like pushes you and often surprises you a little bit, you know, at least if you're not to the like speedrunner level where you know exactly what square to move to to manipulate the AI. But for me, it's just like this beautiful, tasty balance between, you know, you having your big picture strategy and you having to like respond to the emergent elements that are that are coming at you. So do you think you would not like something like if they if there was like a multiplayer version of Into the Breach where a human was <laughs> I don't know. Or or is it like a singularity thing to you where you 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 communicate much better with a machine? <laughs> um I mean, so I think actually at this point Into the Breach is probably a bad example because I actually think that I am deep enough in mm. like I have like my third eye has opened for Into the Breach like I I like am the machine. Um, so I think probably I actually might be competitive with another player in Into the Breach, but I think just about any other tactics, tactics games, even ones that I really like and have spent a lot of time playing, I, I probably have no interest in a multiplayer version of those. But I mean, it is interesting, right? Because in a lot of these games, it is about even more so than other games, right? Figuring out how the AI works. Yeah. You can often, you can sometimes do that with human players, but there's always a kind of a chaos element. But in, in a lot of these, it's like, okay, figuring out what the AI is more likely to do in certain situations. And mm-hmm. there's that, you know, meta element to it that, um, you know, once it, once it clicks, it can actually be pretty enjoyable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this almost in some ways reminds me of how people talk about what's fun about Dark Souls, you know, and those mm-hmm. games where it's about like really coming to understand what particular uh, like levels or, or bosses or whatever are going to bring at you or like how they'll respond to your manipulation. And so, yeah, I think there's like a little bit of that pleasure in here as well. Another thing I really love about a lot of tactics games, it's somewhat common, at least in the ones that I play to have permadeath. And that's, I I love okay yeah a I game with permadeath yeah I don't think that you know that's not it's not like a hallmark a staple, of the genre yeah but, but but the ones that you tend to play and, and so you do play with permadeath on always I've never not played with permadeath but do you on. do with the do you do the thing where you accept the permadeath or do you do the thing that you refuse to let anybody die and if you if somebody dies that counts as you kind of losing the level and you just reset uh, I've done both okay in into the breach if I lose a guy I've lost a guy and I okay. persevere I'll grind that out um but on a lot of other like in all my fire emblem games if I lose a character I'm resetting that like that's intolerable um and I think that's because those are characters much more than like mm-hmm. an into the breach piece is this actually is something that I want to get deeper into when we start digging into final fantasy tactics um because this is this is a space where I feel a lot of distance between um, this game and a lot of other similar JRPG infused tactical games that I've played. Okay, so yeah, maybe with that, then that's a good segue into into Final Fantasy Tactics itself, and you know we can talk about whether it's giving you the tactical elements that you want, and whether it's giving you the Final Fantasy JRPG yeah. elements that you want. Uh, because in many ways, this was really meant to be, you know, a, a merging of of both of these of both of these elements. Um, so Final Fantasy Tactics came out in 1997, but we are playing the updated PSP version, which is Final Fantasy Tactics The War of the Lions that was released in 2007. Um, I'm just saying that because there is some new content that you know we might reference, uh, but maybe even more importantly, there are new some character names are changed and class names are changed to be put more in line with the Final Fantasy nomenclature. Um, so for example, um, the original Tactics priest is now a white mage right so we're going to be using the the war of the lions names but you know um final fantasy creator hironobu sakaguchi mentions that he had always had in the back of his mind this idea of creating a final fantasy 
strategy or tactics game as early as 1993. He even trademarked the name Final Fantasy Tactics, but he just never really had time to work on it since he was churning out the mainline series. And then they were kind of expected to turn out a new mainline entry, you know, every 18 months or so. That is so crazy now. <laughs> um, so eventually, you know, Square just ended up hiring um, Yasumi Matsuno, who had previously worked on the Ogre Battle or Tactics Ogre series. Okay. For Quest, and so he just kind of left that job and you know applied on his own to to Square and, and was hired. And then, of course, you know this is kind of your perfect person now to put you know this this Final Fantasy Tactics ideas uh, in the hands of. And so this is really you know his his baby, but at the same time he really wanted to maintain uh, the Final Fantasy elements. Um, one thing that he he mentioned uh, when developing this game is that he had heard from some players that they found. The um, Tactics Ogre series or the or the Ogre Battle series too complicated. You want to make something a bit more accessible, which I've I know those games. I've never played those games. Yeah, I'm thinking the same things. Okay, maybe I don't want to go play those games. Um, if this is you know the the more accessible version, uh, this might I think this is my limit. But the other thing he mentions that he did want to you know he wanted to still give people some of those JRPG pleasures so you know we talked before this is you know kind of progression oriented he wanted you to be able to if you if you so chose to have kind of a core party of you know five characters mm-hmm. you saw through and you could still and you could kind of choose who those characters were and play through the whole game with your core party and yeah very much still about giving you that sense of you know jrpg progression um just under the guise of kind of a, of a tactics game the other thing that he brought to the series was the world of Ivalice, which is this is the first Ivalice game. But Ivalice shows up. It's the it's the setting for Vagrant Story, which was a later Square game. Oh. It's the setting of Final Fantasy XII, oh. which um, uh, Matsuno also kind of directed. So Ivalice itself has has kind of this longer longer lineage. And I've got to say, Final Fantasy XII is the only you know mainline non MMO. Final Fantasy I've not played. Hmm. So I'm not really that familiar. And I, I've also not played Vagrant Story, though I've been meaning to. Maybe that's a maybe that's a next year. <laughs> There's thing. something here. Um, is that is 12 the one with lightning? Is that the that's 13? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, I'm I and and also like Tactics Advanced also takes place in Evil East, and I've not played those, I think, beyond the like tutorial snowball level. So yeah, I'm actually not I'm not gonna be a uh Ivalice lore master okay. whatsoever. But it is kind of interesting that there is this larger world setup that starts that starts here and that, you know, follows through other games across genres. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So with that, do you want to set up um what Final Fantasy Tactics is? Um sure. I think we I mean we've already kind of mentioned it, but a little more details about what you're doing, who yeah, you yeah. are. Sure. So this is a obviously turn-based tactics game um, where you're playing as Ramza, who's a half noble caught between different warring factions of nobles who are vying for the crown in in this land, Ivalice, and also a religious order and civilian uprisings. Um, and it's sort of a, a long story about this battle for power. And along the way, you're sort of doing these battles that unfold in these little sort of 3D boxes of terrain, bigger than an Into the Breach plot, probably like 12 or 14 by 12 or 14. Yeah, they're these little dioramas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it. And they are 3D dioramas where uh, you learn pretty quickly you need to make use of the 3D camera and rotate oh. the diorama around or you're going to miss some assholes hiding out to to smother oh, yeah. you. Uh, some Lockatu flashbacks. To Super oh. Mario 64. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, sometimes it is hard to tell where things are. Yeah. Um, How many spaces it is between you and something. Yes. Uh, which, even like, you know, which direction you need to press on the deep. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, we have some we have some camera and directional challenges. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, one of the things that I really like that I, I don't think I've played a game that uses this, but it also really uh, factors in altitude or heights of terrain. Yeah. Like you have you have low lows and high highs that affects, you know, where your your attacks can get. This to. is something that really impressed me. And uh, as somebody, again, who's not really super familiar with the genre, but, you know, has played Fire Emblems yeah, yeah. Um, now and um, kind of wishes that they would like this would add a different element to, yeah. to, you know, to the tactics and the strategy of that game. Just, yeah, it really it, it changes how you approach the map, but uh, like obviously, but in a in a very, very meaningful and I think useful way. Yeah, I actually, you know, one of I think my takeaways from this game that that hit me pretty close to after I started was I think this is giving me some of the like uh novel mechanics and tactics and challenge that I've actually been missing from recent fire emblems. Mm-hmm. Um like I I don't feel very pushed unless you just like crank up the difficulty so there's like higher health and enemies hit harder, but that's not really like a fun kind of tactics challenge always, you know, like this is, this is more about complexity. It it has a much more positioning is huge in this game. Um, yeah. You're, you're able to, so it, it, you know, it's positioning in terms of like you know, where you're on the map, but at the end of every turn, you are able to choose which direction your character is going to be facing. Yeah. Um, which on some battles is just like this really annoying extra button press when you just want to move along. But, you know, on some of the, the more impactful battles um, really actually makes a difference. Yep. Um, a lot of, and you know, the direction you're facing affects like whether your parry skills are likely to kick in, how much damage you're going to take from attacks. Um, so that stuff does really matter. Um, I will say that one of the, the you know, uh, levels that are very heighty, like that have lots of different um, altitudes in them are where, a few of the game's limitations show themselves the most. Most notably, there's no way before you commit to your movement and then queue up an attack to see the exact radius of where you can hit or where an enemy can move to or hit, which is something that all the Fire Emblem games have figured out how to how to represent so you can see them. So I don't know if you had this experience. I sure did move a lot and then not be able to hit the guy I was trying to get oh, yeah. with my attack because I was like one square over to the left. It's like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> God. Yeah, I think this brings up a a bigger question that I have for you about what information the game provides you mm-hmm. and you know, about you, your units, the possibilities, um, and whether you thought that information was sufficient or if you're looking for the game to provide you for more, with more information. Based on your love for Into the Breach, my guess is that you're someone who wants to have the most information possible. Well, no, I don't. I don't prescribe that for every tactics game. I think that's something that is is worked to great effect in that context. Um, uh, there's some loosey goosiness in JRPGs with numbers, and I like. I well, don't. So this, yeah. So this, I guess, this is one of my questions. Like, to what extent do you like RNG or you know randomness in your tactics games? Do you mm. like things like? hit percentages or having chances to whiff or so there's a couple of different things here i i like hit percentages actually um especially i like that you know it seems like some of the era of this tactics game um are like more accurate representations of you know how the math is being done under the hood 
Fire Emblem lies to you hugely <laughs> about hit percentages. Like you'll almost always hit something that's like an 85%, whereas in these you're like really taking right, a chance. Right. But it, 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 importantly, it lies to you usually in a way that favors you. So you feel good. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Fire Emblem does. Yeah, yeah. Fire Emblem yes, does. yes, 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 yes. So I, I have patience for that. Um and in things like how much damage a particular attack does, I have some tolerance for like a little bit of variation or range as long as I have like a ballpark sense of what it's going to be. I One thing that I find pretty rough in this game is that it is often pretty hard to figure out exactly how much of a difference different buffs are going to make. I, I consistently was like trying to figure out how much dis, how much difference like haste or slow makes in terms of like how it changes, you know, your, like your, your turn order. order. Yeah, your turn order. Um, another thing that was hugely confusing to me, and, and I still feel like I don't understand, is a little bit of how like your a character's innate stats interact with their class and ability list. Because I have, so the, the two basic innate stats that each character has are bravery and faith. Faith and bravery is basically how good a physical guy you are, and faith is basically how good a magic guy you are. Yes, but but uh, with faith, how good of a magic guy you are also determines how hard you get hit by other people's magic. That makes sense. <laughs> that reflects my. <laughs> oh, experience. okay, yeah. So that's that's the trick with faith, which doesn't apply to bravery. Okay, and then uh, if you have too much faith, your character will leave your party and go join a monastery. Really? Yeah, and if you have too little bravery, your character will become a coward and desert. Whoa. Okay, I've not had any of that happen yet. I that is super fun. Wow, that's it, that's crazy. But it, it's still kind of a it's still kind of an opaque system, I think, but um but it's fine if that was the only one. But then on top of this, and this is what yeah. I'm very curious about if you have any idea what's going on here. There's this zodiac system. Oh my god, no. And and so the zodiac system as far as I know is at least, you know, in name kind of is something that trickles through Ivalice lore because I know in Final Fantasy XII there's there's like a, a zodiac system as well in terms of the battle system, um. So that's like a, a, that's kind of an important thing in you know in this in the lore of this world. Sure. I have no I have no understanding of how that works in <laughs> in this game. Like I know in general that certain signs work better against others, and you know if if you have one zodiac sign and you're fighting somebody who has you know the the opposite or the contrasting one you will you will do more damage but i don't know what those are i don't know it, it it's that's one system too many yeah that feels impossible to learn um especially because it, this is stupid that this is a barrier for me but like in in most every context the the you, the character's zodiac sign is only represented by its symbol mm -hmm. which is understandable cuz on a tiny screen you don't want to be writing out mm -hmm. capricorn every 2 seconds but i'm not going to learn all that as we learned from your silent hill 1 experience <laughs> uh you're you're not a fan of the zodiac signs <laughs> i'm not i'm not like a huge zodiac enthusiast <laughs> um and i certainly don't have any innate knowledge about mm -hmm. what signs are compatible with what other yeah. signs right like i read memes on the internet but i do not know <laughs> anything about yeah there, but yeah there is a lot of information to take in which you know yeah okay it makes sense i'm sure there if there's some people listening to this who are you know tactics that's their favorite genre they're like no this is very simple but um for dum-dum no it's not yeah and <laughs> And yeah, like you've got to you've got to kind of keep track of so many things. And I, I, you know, there are rumors that they're remaking or remastering this game. And if they do, please just put the turn order on the screen and let it update yep. in real time. <laughs> That's yep. all I ask. You have to pull it up through this like long sequence of like 
deselecting your character whose move it is going to an empty space click like it just is a whole thing yeah so I, yeah and I, I guess for me so that yeah and making you know keeping track of turn order and how it changes i guess that kind of makes sense but i think for me like where my breaking point is is if i think about this in terms of a board game mm-hmm. i don't want even i don't want my video games to have more systems that would be impossible to calculate you know in a board game version so mm. I, I guess what i mean what i mean by that is i don't want my digital tactics games to be more complicated than a pen and paper one could be. So, Hmm. you know, and if you're calculating, you know, okay, if you're calculating things like turn order, hit percentage, whatnot, you know, there's a limit that a human is going to have to what they're (laughs) willing to do to play a game. And I wish that that human limit would come into consideration in digital versions because the human playing the game is still kind of expected to calculate those things. Right. So that's you. You think it's only sort of fair if you can like semi do that math in your head. I, I don't know. If fair, and get a feel for like what's probably going to happen. Yeah. And I don't know if fair is the word because I think I don't think this game is unfair in any way. Sure. I just think it's there's I just think it's too much. There, okay. There's there. And it, like it's it's the Zodiac system that breaks me. Like that's one system too much. And again, like you can ignore it and have a great time. I'm doing that right now. But this is where I, I kind of break with some of these games because I, I don't know. I I have I don't always trust a game to do that to like to know that it has more depth than it needs to, and that as the players don't need to don't need to engage with all the systems to enjoy mm-hmm. the game. Like the the game has to build that trust with me, and it's very hard to do with me. I'm not very trusting when it comes to these games. I I think this game is building that trust with me. Okay, but. In the back of my mind, I keep think. I think I've just read, um, you know, examples of people ha- people kind of getting locked out and having to start over. Right. And in the back of my mind, that's always going to happen to me. And I know it's probably not because of the Zodiac system. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, is it, do I need to understand the Zodiac system well, to progress? So this is this is something that I'm 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 glad we can talk about because um, I'm right now. We're going to only really talk about up to the end of chapter three. I'm halfway through chapter four about in my playthrough. And a thing that I keep returning to, of which the Zodiac system is one big example, but it's not the only one, is that I I don't know when I've ever felt like I had less of a grasp of the math under the hood at like hour 90 of playing (laughs) a game than I do with this. Like, but, you know, and partially it's that I just, I, I, you could not possibly prevail upon me to learn the Zodiac system in this (laughs) game. But there's other things too, you know, like I had um I had one character at one point who's a non-story character that I had kept in rotation until very late in the game because she happens to have I think like a 75 and a 74 as bravery and faith. So I was like this is a versatile, useful mm-hmm. character. Um and I had her classed as a white mage and she was doing phenomenal heals and then reclassed her as um a different kind of mage. We'll get into the job system. Um, but had white magic as one of her secondary abilities, so she still had access to Mm -hmm. those moves. But when I went to use them, they were shit. (laughs) She would heal like 15 when she Mm. used to be healing like like 90 for a basic cure. And I have no idea what that... I I genuinely have no idea what happened there. And the thing is... I'm sure there's somebody... I'm sure there's an answer. And I'm sure people know this answer and they're yelling right now. For sure. But that's the thing. It's like, that's, you know, and again, that's that's on me, but I'm not willing to figure that out. Yeah. With a lot of these games. Um, 
And yeah, I, I, and I do want to talk about this more, but now that, you, now that you've brought it up, I think this is something we really need to talk about because I think this might be this game's defining feature, which, which is the, the class system or the job system. Yeah. Yeah. If we think of in terms of Final Fantasies, this plays off Final Fantasy V, which I don't know if you've played Final Fantasy V. No, I have no idea what that means. Oh, so Final Fantasy V um, in, you know, its JRPG setting uses a job system where you can oh. class and, and reclass your characters according to different jobs. and. I think for me, that was the first time I encountered that kind of system. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy X-2 also lets you do that with your sweet wardrobe changes when you're in your girl <laughs> pop group. And, uh, but it's very much a, a job system, which is, which, is really, which is really fun for me in those games. And I think after playing this, I like that system more in a typical JRPG setting than in a tactic setting. Because here, I understand the depth and I think there, there, there's just a ton of depth and I think it's too much for me. I like the job system in this, even though it does sometimes produce these like weird wonky results that I don't fully understand. But basically how it works in this is any of your characters can class as anything. Um, You know, uh, classes do open up based on how many job points which you accrue through battle the same way you would experience you would get experience points but separate you have but they're separate yeah they're counted separately um and so you know pursuing lower level physical fighter classes will open up options in um higher or more fancy physical fighter classes there's there's basically the sort of physical fighting group there's your sort of like rogues or buffer like support guys and there's magic users of various kinds and they're not gated off between them but those are sort of you know three of the big the three big branches on the tree yeah and there are a lot of different jobs and some of them are wild yeah and and just very interesting yes excellent magic variety in this and and physical fighter variety actually you have Um, an arithmetician that you can yes which is both okay We has it. Okay, let me tell you my thing about the arithmetician, because when I unlocked this, so I knew that I think this is called the calculator in the in the other version Mm -hmm. of this game. Yes. One of the few things I knew about this game going in is that there's this wild class called the calculator that people are like, yeah, dude, the calculator. So I was very excited when I opened up the arithmetician and very excited when I figured out how their thing works, which is essentially that. um my God, how can I even explain this? You determine who the character is going to act on based on what of all the characters on the board meet certain mathematical criteria. So you can, for example, choose to attack everyone with an EXP count that is a multiple of three. And so that may be a mix of your guys and enemies. It may be just one of your guys, like, and so you have this like crazy level of options of of who you're going to be acting on, whether it's with buffs or attacks or whatever. So that's very exciting to me. That is friggin' crazy. In practice, have you have you opened up a, a mathematician yet? Not touching them. Really? Here's the thing. I like my squires. I like my knights. I like my white oh mages. My God. I like my black mages. I like my summoners. Maybe I'll maybe I'll experiment with a monk from time to time. Oh my God! Or maybe a geomancer, a time mage. I'm a or, simple man. Or if I'm getting really I have simple if taste. I, if, yeah, if I if I'm really getting it out there, I'll, I'll I'll get a ninja. But I'm not touching a math guy. <laughs> He's got a cool mohawk. It's 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 one step. So okay, let me let me. Okay, here's the here's the let thing. it out because I have more to say about this too. 
on you know in theory i love the system i think it's incredibly deep um there are so many different you know classes and then again like as michelle mentioned so you can class and you can respect to anything and then you can change classes but you can also take um a subgroup of abilities from another class you can kind of mix and match classes in really interesting ways it's 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 too intimidating for me <laughs> i find this depth so intimidating because i never know again i never know how much the game expects me to engage with all these systems mm. and so for me i think like i'm like oh, i have to i have to master everything i have to understand how all these things work i have to understand the intricacies of every class which is not true right but i just you know i i feel overwhelmed and i feel like I'm not prepared for this game if I don't know all that stuff. So right. what do I do? So and so this is the thing. So I, I think I deprive myself some of the pleasures of this game. For so for example, you know, I think with people playing it for the first time, one of the exciting things is seeing what classes open up by you playing as other classes. I feel that. Right. Me, I'm opening a guide. I'm seeing <laughs> what classes there are. I'm seeing how to get the classes. I want to know what all their moves are so I can plan ahead about what moves oh, I want. Okay. And and all of a sudden this game just turns into other people's spreadsheets for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's my own fault. Right. But but it's, but it's not very fun for me. Yeah. Um because I'm too anxious about maximizing Min-maxing my potential yeah. for the future, which is not necessary. <laughs> yeah. But although it would cut back on the grinding you have to do, which it, otherwise you'll be doing a lot of it. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get too. to that. But but this is something that I find with me. Like I in a lot of games, the games that are more um, like tactile or, um, you know, like action based. I'm I'm super into exploration, mm-hmm. um, include, you know, like exploration, exploring spaces, but also exploring like what you can do by combining different mechanics. Like if I'm playing a platforming game, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to like experiment with all the different, you know, moves and abilities together to see what weird things I can do when it comes to like menu driven games and like this type of systems exploration, I just kind of lock up. Okay. It gets, it becomes too intense. And because I know there are people who have spreadsheets that do this in so much more detail than I could ever figure out if I put thousands and thousands of hours into it, like people have already done this. I'm just going to go and look at their spreadsheets. Mm. I can't stop myself. Right. It's a sickness. I I didn't get into the spreadsheets until I opened um, chapter four, at which point the only reason I did was because I felt like I had kind of like maxed out how many job classes I was opening up just through trying a bunch of stuff. And I figured because I know how these things work, that there would be like one or two wild classes that it's like you have mm-hmm. to do some crazy sequence of things. And so I was like, I just want to see what those are. Um I'm like kind of half-heartedly working towards making Ramza a Black Knight or Dark Knight, um, which is not going to happen. It's... Which is specific to this game, I think. It's yeah. not in the original. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you have to... It's it's a truly crazy path, and I probably won't get there. But yeah, so I resisted that, and, and I really enjoyed... It was like so exciting to me when I opened up new classes for the first time. Um, or, you know, being able to come to the realization, you know, as you get... Some of the story characters that you acquire, especially later, have access to special starting classes that are unique to them. And it was really fun having like put a lot of, you know, earlier or like even non-story characters through the paces of like acquiring a bunch of abilities and all these different classes to get a new person with a distinctive skill set and think, oh, my God, this would be such a good match with that one skill from this other class and being like, OK, I'm going to get them in there. I'm going to like just get 
you know, those three things that will be useful and then dip out. So I really enjoyed this as part of the, as part of the sort of strategy layer and, and mm-hmm. the, the, the stuff to dig into. Right. Um, I think like how it's meant to be played, how yeah. it's meant to be, you know, engaged with and explored, which is, yeah, something that my, I just was, lo- I just locked myself out um, to the point where I'm thinking I'm just going to restart this game and give it now that I, it's kind of earned some of my trust. I think the best thing for me to do at this point to actually enjoy it would be to just restart and forget everything yeah. I know and just give myself over to it. Just do the who cares, man. Yeah. Run. Um, yeah. Especially because you can always get more character. I mean, you know, maybe don't let some of your story characters die. Okay, but hang on. I want to finish up about the arithmetician for a second. And and this is probably close to closer to your experience of a lot of this game. Like, it's so not fun to actually play mm. because of the menu system. Because what you end up doing is opening up like, okay, select uh, arithmetician skills, select based on you can do it based on EXP. You can do it based on mm. where you are in the in the turn list. You can do it based on the altitude of the person. Mm, okay. So you're clicking on, okay, EXP. And then you might have prime numbers, multiple of five, multiple of four, multiple of three. And then you have, you select what move to do on them. So you're clicking through, okay, let me start with EXP. Let's see prime numbers. Okay, who does that light up? Okay, no, that's not good. Back out. Okay, EXP multiples of five. Okay, who does that light up? Like you... It takes me eight minutes to do each arithmetician's term to the point where I stopped using him, even though I was so excited to get this class. It is a great idea. I do love that his existence means that in the world of this game, like in the world of the story, people have levels. Okay. This is what I was going to say. It also is the most lore breaking thing (laughs) in the universe because it's like it takes into account turn order. Mm. Like, fine, you could say altitude. But like, how do you in world get like your EXP counts? <laughs> like, I love the idea that all these people have an EXP. <laughs> yeah, like somewhere in there, it's like, how many years and days older? <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know, whatever, forty five plus point zero eight two six nine years old. <laughs> you know, like it's anyway, whatever. It's not a big deal, but it's like. You know, your sense of this game having a lot of too much to it, I I think that is consistent in just about every element of this game. Everything that it has, it has so many good things, and then it tends to just have a little bit too much of that good thing. And and I know there's people who's like, no, it doesn't have enough, or it has just enough. You know what? God bless. Yeah. But for me, it has has too much. And I'm sure, (laughs) you know, this discussion, we're just scratching the surface of the systems of this game. Like... There's so much more we could talk about um, in terms of how this game functions like on a tactics level. Yeah. Uh, But I think we should take a quick break and then come back and talk about how this game functions on a Final Fantasy level. Okay. Which is something I think we can, we both feel a bit more comfortable talking about. (laughs) And then also maybe talking about some of the, some of the standout battles and uh, the uh, interesting plot. It is that. So we'll be right back. back and now what i'm really interested in is the extent to which this game you know made use of its final fantasy branding to what extent Mm -hmm. for you was this a a real final fantasy game 
Yeah, I have complex feelings about this. I I think, you know, despite some of what we said about, you know, missing information or like depths that I wasn't willing to go to in terms of figuring out the tactics, I think I've landed at the point where I like this more as a tactics game than as a Final Fantasy. Um, and so, you know, there are some really fun implementation points of like the Final Fantasy tropes, like a really early thing that I got really excited about um, was you can catch chocobos and other enemies and turn them into party members. So, right, with with a specific class. Yeah, with a specific class. So I got really excited about this when I realized you could do it. I love chocobos. However, it's a little bit more of a novelty than like a real viable. Like, I I couldn't really have like my chocobo friend who is like good enough to be like a formal party member. But, but the thing is, I think you could. I really? Think, I think if you wanted to, yeah, I, I guarantee you can finish this game with Ramza and a squad of chocobos. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure you can. <laughs> Again, get emailed Dimitri at. Um, but it didn't. It felt like I got really excited about it, and then I I went to the work of um like domesticating like three guys, and then was like. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> like, didn't think about it again for the rest of time. Even though they continue to multiply in your party roster and you have to keep sending them away and they're sad. Um, <laughs> that is, it is really sad when you have to send them away. They like plead not to have to go. Why would you put that in? <laughs> I like it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get to talking about some of the story of this, but like, I guess some of the biggest things that I associate with um, Final Fantasy-ness beyond like this specific turn-based um, battle system, um, I sort of associate it with kind of a, that, that like very classic party structure of your mages, your fighters, your like roguish, you know, characters. Um, I think like the hallmarks of those games for me are like, really memorable parties that you get really attached to really memorable locations like beautiful even like older final fantasy games still have really memorable and distinctive and like impressive impactful locations um and you know sort of the the story or journey that you go on with those characters like a lot of it is heavily narrative like i think turn-based battles are fun but it's not it's not a hundred percent what like really draws me to that mm -hmm. genre, if I'm being totally honest, right? Um, and I I don't know that Final Fantasy Tactics hit me really hard on actually any of those three categories, um, with I mean, one exception. Okay, yeah, sure. Go through your exception, then I'll sure. So I mean, the the character thing is is tricky, and this is where there's the exception. Um, you know, by certainly by later chapters, you're getting close to having a, a semi-stable party. But, you know, in the in the beginning, you you don't have enough story characters really to make a stable five person party, which is generally what you're bringing into battle. So, so what do you mean by story people. character? Oh, yeah. So in this game, you can recruit as many like warriors to your side as you want. But there's sort of this division between story characters who have like a role in the actual plot they're stable you know your story characters would be the same as my story characters you know except for how we class them um and then there's non-story party members that you can get who are like warriors you can recruit at taverns and stuff who will have some stats and you can use them or not you know they're sort of like they're just they won't have you know speaking lines in any of your mm -hmm. scenes um so that's that's the division there so 
I, I guess like towards later chapters, you sort of get to the point where you might have a party that you kind of like using. But I found it weird. I kept getting new characters that would bump, have to bump out party members I was attached to or like you get a bunch of new characters in chapter four, which is like quite late. So I don't know. I, I felt like I was constantly rotating them out and not getting to spend enough time with them to get attached. And actually, I think the job system doesn't help with this because one of the things with a lot of that helps reinforce character in Final Fantasy games is that typically their sort of class or their strengths are reflections of their personality and mm-hmm. design and that sort of stuff. That doesn't really work as well in a system where, at least in theory, you can kind of class anybody as anything. And it's funny you say that because I feel similarly about Final Fantasy V mm. that I think mechanically it's one of the strongest ones and maybe one of the more fun ones to play on that level. But in terms of a character level, it's a bit sparse. And I think part of that is because it's because of the job system. And in tactics, I think one thing that doesn't help, which, even though it's kind of cool, is that whenever you reclass, your whole your whole character's appearance changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is cool on like the job system level, but it it you know it breaks that connection with with the character. Yeah, and even some of your story characters can end up looking a lot alike when they are mm. in the same class, and so you're losing some of that distinctive. You don't get the uh, not everybody has their individual silhouette. Right, right, exactly. So the the one big exception to this, I feel, is that. I do feel like this game is incredible, is like powerfully anchored around the relationship between Ramza and Delita. So, just to pause for one second without going into the whole plot, Delita is Ramza's friend who is not a noble that, you know, they kind of grew up together. Um, they were sort of both semi raised by Ramza's dad. Um, and, you know, they're, they sort of work together and at odds with each other at different parts of the story and their paths diverge and cross over and over again. But there's something so concrete about any scene where you have Ramza and Delita interacting, or even when you see what Delita is up to, like going off and around. Like, I don't know, somehow there's like a gravity around that relationship that feels like that is telling the real story. Like, you know, there's a lot of double crossings and really complex intrigues and everything. But, you know, whenever, whenever I'm watching scenes with Delita, I feel like I'm seeing something real that's happening. Yeah. And I mean, the game opens with, I think, a pretty interesting hook and something that I, I kind of like mainline Final Fantasies to deal with, where you're being recounted the story by this historian. He's recounting kind of this War of the Lions and recounting why one character, Delita, is um, becomes seen as, you know, kind of the hero of the story. And your character, you're playing Ramza, is kind of discarded as, uh, as a heretic. Mm-hmm. And you're getting to play this from Ramza's side to see, you know, this other side of the story. But I think it's, like, it's, it's yeah. a really interesting framing device. And, and I think you're right, like at least grounds those moments of the story because you kind of know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, but without having really any idea of how you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, by chapter three, you have some sense of how Ramza is going to arrive at that some form of the end he's going to arrive at, but not Delita. So, you know, I'm impressed with that. But I think the... I think the gravity of that comes at a bit a bit at the expense of the ensemble cast, whereas like I love Final Fantasies as ensemble mm-hmm. casts. That's like a huge, huge thing. Um, and I think this also, you know, get interferes a little bit with how I feel about the permadeath system in this game. Because, you know, there's a handful of characters that I, I guess I'm decently attached to. But like the reason why I can't abide 
a character death in Fire Emblem and will always reset and retake that level isn't because, I mean, I may also be like, oh no, I really need that fighter and their skills, but it's more that I feel that I'm losing that character. I don't want to lose mm. that person. Whereas even some of the story characters in this, even ones I like, like Agrius, for example, um, who's a bodyguard to a princess, um, they feel much more like just chess pieces mm -hmm. that have like a bit of a role in the story, if that makes well, sense. Yeah, like I think it's, I think this is the problem with trying to tell, you know, a Final Fantasy level story within the structure of this kind of tactics game, because you the way that the narrative is presented to you is basically just in lore dumps. Yeah. Right. There's not kind of maps for you to explore. There's not towns for you to explore. There's not the process of piecing together information by encountering NPCs in the, in, in towns. Yeah. Right. Instead, basically you have cutscenes and, and some basically cutscenes and other forms of lore dumping in between the battles. Yeah. And so, yeah. So the way the narration can happen is much more constrained. But yeah, I'd like to, I don't know, like thinking about like where this could go in the future, if they were really going to remake instead of remaster this, I'd re like, I, I, there's like, I'd love to walk around in some of these cities and, and, you know, talk to yeah. NPCs. And then, you know, once you leave and go on the map, instead of random encounters, you have the tactics battles. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's, 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 uh, I feel like that, that would be, it's easy to see how that would be implemented. I mean, I think the game kind of tries to recapture some of that with the, like tavern and shop system that you have taverns and outfitters at some of the main cities that you go to, which are just like clicking on them on the map and going there. Like you don't explore. Right. And even those, it's like you talk to the bartender and yeah. it's like, I got some, I uh, heard some rumors and the rumors are just lore dumps. Yeah. They're, and they're the same at different, mm -hmm. you know, you'll it's have. Making sure you have the yeah. requisite background information to understand what's going on yeah. geopolitically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of them have errands for you, which that can kind of unravel side quests sometimes. So I think there's like a bit of an attempt at recapturing some of that, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel it's not linked to characters, right? It's not people talking to you about where they live. It's again, like somebody basically reciting like a short newspaper article at you, mm -hmm. <laughs> like they read about like the Zodiac Braves. Um, so that doesn't it. Yeah, it sort of feels the world feels a little empty. And, and I think this, again, is like kind of this tension between like what strategy tries to do and tactics tries to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, the lore is very much this um, macro level or a lot of the lore you get anyway is really this macro level geopolitical context stuff. And sometimes that is at the expense of the character yeah. stuff, right? Like the 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 relationship between the units. Um, because there's like you said, like there's not a lot of relationships between individual units. There's, yeah, yeah Ramza and Delita, who's you know with you in chapter one, which is a flashback chapter, and then and then not elsewhere. And then you have some interactions with some units, but then because any of them can die, the, you can't. Yeah, the game can't rely on them or expect them to be alive. So you don't have these important moments between these other units yeah. that are you know expendable. Yeah, and I mean games like Fire Emblem have dealt with this by having some characters who are not just story, but like pl really plot critical, mm -hmm. you know, if they die in air quotes on the field, they'll just have some dialogue pop up. That's like, I can't go on. Like, I'll see you back at camp. Mm -hmm. So they basically make that a non permadeath character. I would be fine as with that as a compromise mm -hmm. in a game like this, if it let them do more with the actual people that you have. I, I, I got to say though, and, and yeah, just while I'm thinking about the permadeath, one thing I do like that this game does, it does tie it back to final fantasy-ness and that I kind of wish Fire Emblem did is that you do have Phoenix Downs in this game. Yes. You can revive 
characters in this game. So basically, once a character dies, you have three turns to revive them. And, you know, I like that not just because I feel like I don't have to just immediately restart my game because a character died, but also it adds this extra sense of urgency to yeah. to the fight where you're just trying to get your characters, you know, to the deceased character to revive them and other characters try to time their cures because yep. the enemies are going to try to attack them to kill them again. And it, 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 the battle, like once a character dies, unlike in Fire Emblem where character dies the way I play, it's it's a restart. Yeah. And this, it completely sh- shifts the, you know, the texture of the battle. Yep. And like the... I like that if you don't get there in that three turns, the character just like poof and turns into like an item. The same thing that happens to like monsters after three, like it's just, it feels so awful. It's so merciless. It's like, yeah, you're no different than that. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's effective. It's good. Um, Yeah. I just wish I felt the characterness of those characters a little bit more. And, and honestly, um, I, I kind of feel the same way about locations in this game. And I, I mean, I think like, this is partially because they're working with these small diorama mm-hmm. grid boxes, right? Like, I kind of understand why mm-hmm. this happens. But I, 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 you know, you have places like the Clockwork City of Goog um, that I think in other Final Fantasy games would probably have made a real impact and had, like, a really specific visual. You know, like, I can picture mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and and the, the little dioramas for the city... Like, yeah, they they do look different than other cities in the game, but not in a way that's going to stay with me. Like, I couldn't, like, describe the layout of one of those off the top of my head to mm-hmm. you, right? Whereas, like, I can describe the layout of, like, Alexandria and Final Fantasy IX sitting right, right here. Like That's it. I mean, because the dioramas have to be functional to provide uh, an interesting battle scenario, right? Yeah. Like, that's their primary yeah. function. Yeah. And so they're all they're all functional. Obviously, you're not exploring them. They, they exist for you to battle on them. Yeah. So and so I think that was maybe that's, again, like one of the reasons that, you know, Final Fantasy XII is the one I haven't touched yet because, you know, I, I never felt excited about Ivalice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that might be wrong. Maybe I and I, I I'm curious. I, I've got to pick up Final Fantasy XII at some point to actually like explore, you know, what that space looks like. Because, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and I think I think you know because I knew it kind of from tactics before, and it's like there oh, there's nothing really memorable location wise to, yeah, to me yeah. in tactics, but it's because you know it there can't be, yeah, just because of the limitations of of the game. Um, that said though, like as battle maps, yeah, I think the locations in this game are are incredible. They're, I agree. They're really. Functional as battle maps, and so many maps offer very different situations. Um, like the variety feels so much more than something like Fire Emblem. I completely agree. Um, yeah. Like immediately, and there are quite a lot of battles in this game, and they all—I I don't want to say all, but a lot of them feel significantly, significantly different. Yeah, I um, absolutely agree. Off, you know, often that's because of you know the enemy placement of the enemies you're fighting, but so much of that just comes from you know the structure of the location itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like for me, there some. You know, some scenes that uh, like really stood out to me are, for example, uh, you might remember the the battle at the execution site where you're fighting uh, Gafgarian, a <laughs> great name, <laughs> as well as, you know, time mages and knights and archers. Like just so it, it just so saturated with enemies um, on, you know, on the high ground, on the low ground. Gafgarian himself is so powerful. Like and then, and then that site itself being kind of this execution site where they're about to execute a princess. Yeah. Um, like that's evocative. Like I really like that. And then that they follow up that they follow up that fight with another fight where your party is, you know, on one side of the castle gates. And yeah, then the, the other gates. Ha- it's like a one-on-one between Rams and Gafgarian, or basically Ramza just has to survive long enough to go and hit a button to open the gate so we can join rejoin the party. Yeah. But 
that so so at least the way that I played it, it was so much like a cat and mouse where I was just running away from Gaff Gary and trying yeah. to get to the um trying to get to the button. Like I was not gonna fight him one on one. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the different the different situations that that come up and how you have to play with your parties. And I know like something like Fire Emblem does that too. You know, they'll split your parties up. But I don't know, there's something about this, especially the the one on one situations that for me are really impactful because they're used sparingly enough that they yeah. don't they don't overstay their welcome. One battle or set of battles that I really want to talk about with you is the final set of battles on chapter three. Ah, uh, yes. Because the, Michelle dies endlessly and spends 10 hours on these three battles. These battles. are the ones that I think are notorious for being a lot of people's endpoint in the game sure. where, or a space where, you know, if they save in between battles, um, it becomes a point of no return for them. And because you can't go back and level up and then you realize that you you're just not powerful enough to progress so I don't, I don't know what you what you thought about these these battles yeah so this is basically a siege on riovanis riovanes castle what do we think that's pronounced riovanis riovanis okay i'm I don't good know. with that i'm good with that that's why we need voice acting <laughs> um that you know it starts outside at the front gate where you have um, you know, a, a relatively new character working with you, Rafa, fighting her brother Malek. And, and you know, it, you have this moat going through and like these high altitudes, tons of archers. Um, you have an incredibly powerful enemy in, in Malek. And then you're going to fight your way inside the castle into this space where um, sort of like the gate encounter we were just talking about. You start out in a one-on-one duel between Ramza and, you know, this longtime enemy, Wygref, um, in this space that is sort of like cavernous and has, um, you know, water on both sides. And it's just this set of stairs where he's at the top and you're at the bottom. And again, you just sort of have to get him down low enough that it'll transition into um, this next battle on the same grid, but with your party and he transforms into this this monster demon and you have these other demons right like it just becomes blows up into this enormous enormous problem and typically at least in my case ramza was at super low health at the start of this second phase so you're you're starting off already at a limp like their side just gets more powerful and yours you're trying to take care of him and also advance people and target this lead demon thing um, so you have these really quickly changing battle scenarios, and it culminates on the roof of the castle. So you've sort of worked your way all the way up and through into uh, a, a case where you're actually fighting the Marquis of Elmdor, who you saved in Chapter 1, but who's now working at, at odds with you. And there's these assassins who can one-shot ch- one kill you. It's just, it's like so dramatic the the landscape is is really great, especially I I really like the design of of the roof level. I think it's it makes very interesting use of of the heights and everything. Like you really have to watch that stuff in this, and it feels like a, a real culmination. So with a battle like this, do you feel like the game allows you to tactically work your way through it, or is this a case where you think that you know, like for example, luck has. Um, as much to do with it as skill. Um, because I think that, you know, this is one of those battles where, for me, a lot of it feels like dice rolls. And, I, and you know, before you talked about what you like about Into the Breach, where, you know, you can, 
that's I think that's one game where if you mess up by and large, you know it's your fault. And I, I don't know if I necessarily feel that in all of the battles in this game. And I think this is a an emblematic series of battles when it comes to when it comes to some kind of randomness, especially if you're not over leveled or well prepared, because how could you be? You don't really know what to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, this was an interesting measure of the AI because particularly the um the the levels in the middle where you have the one-on-one duel with with Ramza and then, you know, your whole party arrives and there's mm-hmm. the demons and Ramza's almost dead and blah blah blah. Um I did that a lot of times and often I went in with the same characters and did the same starting moves mm-hmm. and still received different responses from mm-hmm. the AI, which is interesting because in some ways that means that I can't really learn <laughs> from what I mean I kind of can because I become familiar with the move sets of the special characters in there but that's like a different kind of of way of having the the tactical element unfold than I, I guess I was expecting like there would be times where I just got lucky and like one of the assassins wasn't high up in the turn list and like or like didn't use her one hit kill move right away and so I got two or three turns with a character instead of none. And so like mm-hmm. they got some hits in. So yeah, there's there's definitely points in this where it felt a little wiggly and it, it does become harder to evaluate whether you're being treated fairly by the game when you do feel like there are mechanics that you don't fully understand how they mm-hmm. work. Like again, that the trust that you spoke about, mm-hmm. I think that shows up a bit in how we both feel about sequences like this. Yeah. And, and you know, we've mentioned it um, a number of times that we haven't really dug into it, that, you know, this game... If it is feeling difficult, you can do random encounters and grind your way through it. And I think the game in some ways expects you to, or at least I felt it expected you to. I think to. it does too. And and this is another moment where I kind of became frustrated, not the game's fault, my own fault, because I look up things online. Whereas <laughs> I was getting through pretty swimmingly um, and feeling pretty good about myself. And then I just wanted to look something up and I saw the person was where I was, but was at least 10 levels out of me. Oh. And I just kind of froze. And I and, and I was thinking to myself, oh, like, oh, I, do I need to be here? Or something going to happen soon that requires me to be right. this leveled up? Because grinding 10 levels is uh, is quite Slow. an ordeal. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, these aren't just uh, your, you know, Final Fantasy VII random encounters where you can just kind of button yeah. mash your way through it. Every... Every encounter can kill you. Every random yeah. encounter can kill you. You have to be strategic with every one, which is great, Yeah, but not great when you just need to grind out levels. Yeah, grinding is about putting a podcast on and and like just getting your levels while you're half paying attention. Yeah, and so I guess that got me thinking too about whether, you know, grinding, if grinding makes sense in a tactics game where you are so invested in putting so much into every encounter. Um grinding might not even be the right term because it's not it's not just the grind it's uh you're kind of fully engaged especially because the the way this game works that as you level up the enemies level up with you in the random encounters not yep. in the story mission so you're actually you know you can't just go and fight fodder characters yep I mean, I wonder if part of the reason they assume that we'll do this is because even as I said quite late in the game, you're getting new story characters introduced mm-hmm. to your party who only have like three skills in only their starting class. Right. And you need to build up their job points. And this is the thing that I found frustrating is like I would have a very strong and successful non-story character that I have spent the last three chapters like grinding and building up and learning all these diverse skills that work well together. And then you get one new story character and you're sort of like, I feel like I should play with them because Mm -hmm. they're a story character. 
but they're they're strong in the three moves right. that they have but right, right. like okay now do i have to go yeah start over for versatility with this character um and so i wonder if that's part of why they figure we're going to go back to like get the job points and and work the class system but you know by like hour 90 i don't know about grinding at this point and that's it and if you're playing this not so you can talk about it on an episode of like it, it's different. Like if you have yeah. this, you know, and played over the course of six months, great. Yeah. You can do you can do that. It's just a different pace, and you your relationship to grinding kind of changes when yeah. you're really just trying to get through parts of it. Another thing you mentioned before that you know if somebody's listening to this and they haven't played the game and they're hearing us talk about you know this this um, war and you know princesses and you know, these kind of geopolitical tensions. And all of a sudden you're talking about this guy turning into a demon. Oh my God. I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this, I mean, this story does do the final fantasy thing where it kind of starts in this grounded way and then builds toward cosmic. Yeah. Like universal horror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of what's going on, but yeah, you are, you are fighting demons. I, I this, it, do you want to, I know you may have... I please discuss this beast of a plot. <laughs> okay. Okay. I I thought that this was something people love about this It game. is something people love about this game. Okay. So I will say that where I am halfway through chapter 4, we've sort of hit our stride. We're like things are things are starting to come together, but the first two chapters of this game I just found so impenetrable. Like okay, here's a short version of this plot. Different rulers are contending for power amongst themselves. While factions def- that are defending the like non-nobles are are becoming stronger and stronger. Meanwhile, the church is manipulating all of them with a plan to take them all out and become the only power in town. And demons are in there somewhere. Part of their plan is to resurrect the Zodiac, or is to use the Zodiac stones, which have some connection to the Zodiac braves from history. And there's demons. Um, that's where we're at. But the like Chapters one and two are just the story of names, double and triple crossing other names so, that you don't recognize. So I think your experience of playing this was is similar to my experience when I watched Game of Thrones for the first time. <laughs> okay. Which I know you didn't watch, but when I watched it for the first time, especially the first season before you get used to the characters, thankfully, I had the Blu-ray. I watched them on Blu-ray. And what you had to do, and thank God they had this, like you could pause and it would show you which characters are on screen? It would name uh, them and and kind of their relations, and then there were also like maps and uh, and like familial <laughs> relations, like documents that came with the Blu-rays that you Perfect. know I'd also have open. And you know, for the first few episodes, that's how I'd be watching it. I'd be pausing. It's like, okay, who are these people? What, what are, are they doing what, here? How are they related to each other? Like, how does this make sense? And it was so slow going. Yeah. And you know, that's one thing when it's a you know multi. Um, season series and you can kind of dip into it but the pace of at which names and are thrown at you and the plot moves in this game is so much faster and the names are so much stupider oh my god and also they're like every name is like associated with a like duke or leader that they support and a castle that that person owns that is not the name of the person who owns it and they each have a, their own private army or band that has another name that is not related to either of those two. So like you'll be hearing about the Order of the Southern Sky and Dukes Larg and Goltana and like which one of those is affiliated with the or with the Order of the Su- of the Southern Sky. It's always the Southern and Northern fighting like 
it just, or they'll be like, we should go to Zeltenia Castle and seek the Duke's help. And you're like, which Duke? What are we talking about? No one has, no one has said the word Zeltenia Castle to me before. How am I supposed to know what this is? Or like early on, you know, chapter two is just the story of Delita double and triple cry and you having no idea who he's really working for, seeming to be working for somebody. And then you learn, oh no, he's betraying them and he's really working for this other guy. The problem with that is that you haven't met any of these characters that they're saying this character may or may not be working with. So like, I I don't know how to interpret the statement. Delita plans appears to be working for Galtana, but is secretly working for Larg, but plans to betray Larg. Like, I don't know what, does that mean he's a good guy? Does that mean he's a bad guy? Like, I don't know. I don't know these people. You haven't Shades introduced of green, them. Man. Oh my God. But it's like that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. You're just saying words. Like this. It's, it's, it's a game that I think one thing that I'm learning is that it, I think it is, it requires maybe multiple playthroughs mm. or at least I think at this point, I like, again, like I'm thinking of just at this point, just starting from the beginning, starting from scratch, because knowing what I know now, going back in and like giving yeah. myself over to the game better. I think, you know, that's, that would be fair way to treat the game because i do really like the game that's the thing it's really fun to play (laughs) and i actually think that there's there's some meat to this story i just have to like decipher it a bit more yeah though shout out to the corpse brigade great name evocative you know they're bad guys yeah though they're kind of sympathetic well corpse brigade yeah 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 solid um i mean i the internet can provide you that game of thrones index of who belongs to who and honestly, if I were starting this over, I would freely pull up like, who works for mm-hmm. Duke Goltana? Like, what am I looking at? What, where does he live? What's his region? What's his army? Who's his boy? You know, mm-hmm. like, just go ahead and get that help. Like, it's fine. Because mm-hmm. um, the story does, okay, the story does kind of come together by the time you're like getting into chapter four, which again, like 70 hours into this thing. Um, and this game is like, playing in a lot of spaces that I really like. Like there's a lot of, there's some great themes. It's got, you know, an evil religious order, which I'm always up for. It's got stuff about like class-based uprisings and manipulations and like petty scheming elites and, you know, the manipulation of religious doctrines and all kinds of good stuff, um, as well as, you know, friendship and love and all that shit. Um, But it just like, it has these great themes and it just smothers them all in names of things and of people like just endlessly. Like it's just so hard to get to them through. Also the game is written in this like old timey high fantasy dialogue. Like it's like thou speaks true. Like it's that kind of thing, which also doesn't help when they have names like Goffard Goffgarian or whatever his name is. So yeah, there's like a little bit of impenetrable, Princes, dukes, marquises, lords, cardinals, high priests, orders, castles, lands, provinces, uh, realms, dukes, high cardinals, uh, tomes, (laughs) um, knights, (laughs) (laughs) wygra. Um, so I mean, stick with it and, and just don't sweat the details too much. I think by chapter three, it starts to turn into something Yeah, <laughs> like just let it just let it wash over you. Yeah. And again, you know, like I'm coming away like I do really like a lot of what this game does. And I do like that it's pushing me. And 
it does make me feel bad if this is supposed to be the accessible tactics game because <laughs> uh, it just makes me feel bad about myself. But yeah, I, I like there is something definitely here mm-hmm. um, there. And, and if they do a remaster remake, I would love to play it. Yeah. Um, just to see if there's some quality of life changes that happen. If they reduce the amount of time you have to grind, for example. Yeah. Because um, there's a time investment of, you know, they're, they're, if they put the turn order on the screen, mm-hmm. just some things to to uh, reduce the to... number of, of button presses between movements. Yeah. Find a way to build out some context around the little grid diorama mm. things um, so that you have more of a sense of space. Like all this, is, this is all fixable stuff. And again, as you very correctly just brought up, this game is fun to play. Yeah. I'm I'm having a fun time yeah. playing it. Like, you know, my my I spent a lot of time criticizing it, I think, on this episode, but like I'm gonna finish it very happily. Mm-hmm. I've been like chilling and laying on the couch and playing this and having a good old time. So like it's good, you know? Yeah, and we and we will wrap this up next time, but uh for now, do you have any final thoughts? I do. Um I love the idea of geomancy in this, which is a kind of magic I haven't encountered in any other Final Fantasy, really. Um, And actually, somewhat gets picked up and repurposed in uh, a a game that I played recently in 2021 just for myself, which is Wildermyth, which, Hmm. you know, maybe I'll get a chance to talk to you about at some point, um, but has sort of an interesting repackaging or rearticulation of this, and actually will be great to talk about in dialogue with this game, because... There's a lot to say about how it evolves later on. But I think I, that I've got a thing to say. Oh, please. <laughs> this game, I think the process of playing this game is learning a lot about my limits, especially when it comes to the genre. Hmm. Another place where I learned my limits is um at certain boss fights when you know, we talked about how so much of what a tactics game is is about what information the game provides to you and then learning to work with that information and the limitations of that information. There are certain boss fights uh, when they when people become demons, where they no longer show you the HP of the boss. Yep. No, <laughs> you cannot. No, that but is not fair. This Final Fantasy does this sometimes with bosses, this, even in mainline. It, this is no longer a tactics game mm-hmm. when you do that, mm, good because point. I can no longer strategize. Like at least the way that I approach so many of these fights is based on knowing the HP. Like that is that is a truce that I have with the game. Mm-hmm. That the game will provide me with that information and I will react according to that information. And it is very important for me to have that information. <laughs> Otherwise, the like the risk reward, be, like those calculations just don't they don't work anymore because I don't know, I can't calculate the reward. Right. Because I don't know if I'm fighting somebody who's on his last legs, who has right. a thousand HP left. Like who knows what that number could be. Right. So luckily though, I had my machinist when I fought this first demon, Mustadio, mm-hmm. just shot this guy in the legs we couldn't move. And then just swarmed him. There you go. No tactics involved. <laughs> classic. The tactics of shooting a guy. <laughs> classic JRPG, just button mashing and attacking. It felt oh great. God. It was a. It was a. It was a much needed moment. Okay, I'm glad you had that. All right, I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, thanks as always for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening on. It's all good. If you want to find more information about this episode or the show in general, you can visit us at neverwasagamer.com or follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. We have kind of an interesting, different kind of episode where we'll be wrapping up Final Fantasy Tactics. But more importantly, we're going to be wrapping up 2021 and we're going to be wrapping up Season 2 and looking forward to the future. 
So we hope you'll join us then um, as we reflect on where we've been so far. And, uh, you know, Michelle, I really hope that uh, we can use it as an opportunity for you to think about and reflect on your experiences becoming a gamer.